Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. The Lady 80 Show podcast. We talk about books, everything about books, and have great interview with authors. Here's one now. It's wonderful to meet Angela Gary. And Angela, you're an author in your own right, and you're also a biographer of Helena Hanth. And it's with that context that the Book Academy really, really was so keen to meet you and ask you some questions. Because although you've got a lot of background yourself, which we can come on to, um, it's the fact that we, as our Book Academy, our first book we had was this one, 84 Charing Cross Road. And I, I sent you um, a photograph of all the members holding up the book and they they were really taken with it. A lot of people had never heard of Helen Hunt before and hadn't read any of her work. Right. So it's brilliant. So tell me how you got interested in and do you say Helena Hunt or how it's you... Helene. Helene, yeah. She actually explains it in one of her books um later on if you get to one of those. Um I think when she eventually met Nora Dole in London and Nora called her Helen, she said, No, no, it's Helene. She explained how to pronounce it. Um, how did I come across Helene Hunt? I was at university and I joined the Cinema Society, and one of the films that was put on was 84 Charing Cross Road. And it had been released the year before. I had no idea about this. So this was back in 87, 88 when I saw it. And I loved the film. And then at the end of the things, I sat and watched the credits, as you do. And based on the book by Helene Hanf, I thought, she's a real person. Um, and I rushed out and bought the book. And the book was coupled with the book of the Duchess of Bloomsbury Street in one small volume. So I read the book of 84 and the Duchess, which is her diary of travelling to London on the strength of publishing 84. And then I returned to the bookshop another day and found more of her books and just started buying whatever I could of her six eventual books for adults. Um, right. So that was the start of it. Well, that was the start of it. But how did you come to go from there to being her biographer? Um, my interest in her grew. I read the books. Um, the play was put on in my town where I was living. Um, I wrote to her because she wrote it, She mentioned in two of her later books that fans started to get in touch. 
and her address was at the top of every other page in 84. <laughs> so I wrote and said, uh, hi, I was a baby of two months old when the last letter was written and I've been watching the film. And she wrote back a very gracious postcard, which I still have now. Um, what well, that was about 1989, 19, 1890. So, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, it seems in my life. Uh, I still have it, prized possessions. And I wrote to her a few more times and got cards back again. And when I was booking a holiday to go to New York, I'd always wanted to go to New York. Like Helene had always wanted to go to England, to London, I had this desire to go to New York. And when I was going with a friend, my friend said, well, why don't you get in touch again and ask if she'll sign your books for you? And I was like, oh, I can't do that. I can't meet a real-life person. <laughs> and I did. I met her, and she was just lovely. And we chatted in her apartment building in the lobby downstairs for around three quarters of an hour or so. And and it, it just it was just lovely. She was telling me places to visit while I was in New York. She was chatting. She introduced me to two of her neighbours who walked past, who are mentioned in one of her books, Letter York um and she gave me her phone number and said if you run out of places to see before you leave give me a call she was that sort of really nice person and so three years later when I heard that she died and I was working um in a job where I was learning how to write websites but I hadn't done one yet and I thought I should write a website of my own before I'm asked to write one for work so I decided to create a very, very basic site on, ooh, what else? What do I know? Helene Hanf. So I created a, a very basic site about her. And people started finding it on the internet. I think because they'd read the obituary, they then looked online to find out information about her. And more and more people were starting to use the internet. More and more people got in touch. So where she had thousands and thousands of fans contacting her over the years and writing to her about her books... I then started getting thousands and thousands of fans, literally thousands, emailing me, asking for more information, reading what's on the site, saying, oh, I met her once or I wrote to her and here's my postcard and sharing information. And the site just started building and building until somebody said, are you writing a book about her? And I went, I could. <laughs> okay, so the idea started. And so I didn't put much more on the website. I kept it updated here and there, but much more material that I was keeping at home. So that's what I've been doing over the years is putting the book together. And I've stopped and started for various personal reasons within my life of moving house, moving job, moving country, moving country again, and, and laterly, laterly in the last two years, moving to Spain. So things have stopped and started, but now I'm back on it again, and I'm aiming to get the book finished this year. This month right now, April 2022, is 25 years since this wonderful woman died. It would be really nice to get my book out in this year to commemorate that. Oh, it certainly um, would. And yeah. when you do, I mean, do you have an advanced sales list or anything like that that we can join so that we can be first in the queue for when it comes out? Well, I've got all the thousands of fans who've emailed me over the years. I should be contacting them. So if anybody wants to reach me, look for my website, helenehanf.com. Click on the link and, and email me. Get on the list and I will send you a message when it comes out and let you know about it. Oh, that, that, that's fantastic. So with what you've learned about her, um, mm. I'm particularly focusing on this book. Um, <clears throat> 
was the author's background as to how she discovered or developed such an, an, an eclectic interest and devotion to the literature that she was interested in? Well, I think the, the original story of her life is mentioned in a couple of her later books, and that gives you some information there. She basically, her family was a bit too poor to send her to college. She went to a secretarial school while to learn to type and then was working and typing and trying to write plays she wanted to be a playwright her dad had tried to crash the theater before being firmly pulled back home by his mother and said go and get a job but she wanted to, to, to be a playwright so she was working by day uh, at times she was doing very random sounding secretarial work which is described in a couple of the books and it's quite funny so do read the other books everybody um and so she started trying to give herself what she thought of as a college or university education in English. And she bought, she found two books in her library in New York written by Sir Arthur Quiller Cooch, who was a, a, a big lecturer in, oh my word, I can't remember if it's Oxford or Cambridge. That's terrible of me. I think it was Cambridge. Shame on me if I've got it wrong. Um, but she read his two books about the art of reading and the art of writing, except she couldn't just read the book and go straight through it because on the first page, he mentioned a book that she hadn't read. So she had to go away and find that book and read it and understand it and then come back and then carry on down the page. Then he mentioned another book she hadn't read. So she went away and found that book and read it and then understood it and then went back. So she took something like, I think five or six years to read these two books because she kept having to pause, put a bookmark in the book, go away, find the book. And she ended up at one point writing to, um, I think she'd, she'd built a lot of her education herself and done that, but it was several years later, she ended up writing to the booksellers in London at 84 Charing Cross Road, who were a company called Marks & Co, asking them if they had any cheap copies of some of the books she wanted to read that they were too expensive for her to buy in London. So it, it sort of went from there. But that was her background. She was a failed playwright. All of her plays kind of went in the bin. She won an award, a, uh, a fellowship, to be um, mentored by the Theatre Guild, who were very well known at the time from London, sorry, from, from New York. Um, and she was mentored by them for a, a year's programme. Um, and then still all her plays went in the bin. Um, in previous years, apparently, Tennessee Williams won the award, was given some money and said, off you go. And he did extremely well from it. Whereas in the Helene's year, they decided, we will mentor the people who win. But they got nowhere. So it's a very different way of doing things back then. One guy goes off and makes his own living and becomes an enormous playwright. But Helene, sadly, none of her plays ever got produced. And then how ironic that her series of letters backwards and forwards to a, a bookseller in London eventually became a book which then became a play that was put on on the West End in London and on Broadway in New York, got developed into a TV play for today with the BBC and then became a film by Mel Brooks production starring his wife Anne Bancroft and Anthony Hopkins, which became the Royal Gala performance in 1987. And Helene got to go to England, the country she'd always wanted to visit, and she was in the receiving line to be met by the Queen Mother, Prince Charles, Princess Diana. The, the opening of her book as a film. So it was written and staged into a film and into plays by people other than her, the failed playwright. 
Absolutely. It's incredible, isn't it? And mm. I mean, part of the Book Academy you know, is those who are writing books. We, we say, you know, let's look at a book of what we can learn from that. What I mean, the story is mm. inspirational. Her own track record is inspirational. Because yeah. yeah. I, I always say a book's always born in its own time. Um, and you know, just like your biography called Scattered Leaves, um, I believe, um, mm-hmm. you know, that be born in its own time. Now, if it's the 25th anniversary, that will be fabulous. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I wanted it to come out on the 20th anniversary and the 15th and the 10th. And it just life, my life, it didn't happen. And I still get emails now from people who found my web page saying, when's that book coming out? Yes, (laughs) I'm pushing so hard to try to get it done this year and get it out because I'd like it finished. Where did the title Scattered Leaves come from there? In the film of 84 Charing Cross Road, Helene in later years reads from a book of sermons by John Donne, who was the dean of St Paul's Cathedral. And he'd written the beautiful piece. He wrote the poem, No Man is an Island, which a lot of people know the title of. And, and for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. That's lines from that poem. Um, but this particular thing he wrote about was that, um, I can't give you the full quote now, but it's, it's based on all of us. Our lives are pages in a book or we are our, ourselves our own book and every part of our lives is another chapter or another page and when we die we're not just thrown away our lives then become another page or a chapter in the big book of of life but it says that we are all these are our scattered leaves the leaves of paper so i just thought with putting my book together of helene's life trying to contact and get in touch with and find out about the people that she's mentioned in her six books for adults, gathering together as many scattered leaves about her as possible, including fans from around the world who've met her, people who've played her in in play, comments from people like Anne Bancroft about putting the film together and gathering in as many of these into one volume. That's my aim. Fantastic. So people will see scattered leaves and might go down the autumn route are totally mm. wrong. It's the leaves of books. How it's the leaves of pages of books. Pages yeah. of book of which every one of us can have an entry. Can yeah. You, what do you remember the most from actually meeting her yourself? Her laugh. She had the dirtiest. <laughs> really, she had a cackly croaky type voice um if you go to my website there are some little sound clips of her on there on a page called uh helene on tv and and film and on radio there's some sound clips she had a real gravelly voice um from i believe many years of being a smoker a smoking voice exactly but she had a real cackle a real deep enjoyment sort of sound within her laugh and that she was just a really nice, open person. I mean, I when one of her neighbours walked past, Nina, who lived upstairs in another apartment, walked past and Helene in, in, introduced me. I said, oh, you're the owner of the dog that's mentioned in the book Letters from New York. And Helene went, yes. She said, hold it there. So she, Helene got in her lift, left me talking with Nina. Helene went up to her apartment, came back down to show me a photo of Nina's dog because she had a photo in her apartment. So she brought it down. This is the dog that we were talking about. And I just thought, oh, wow. But she was just a really nice person who took time to speak to people. She didn't need to. She could have said, 
Okay, it's a book I wrote in 1969-1970. Let's leave it now. You know, we can meet and sign the books and away you go. She stayed downstairs with me for three quarters of an hour, barring those couple of minutes up in front of the lift to get the photo. But she was just generous with her time and just seemed like a, um, a genuinely enjoying meeting fans who you know, took the time to get in touch. In the Duchess, um, which obviously is part of the you know, second part of this book, um, yeah. the Bloomsbury, she meets uh, Joyce Grenfell, Grenfell yes. and she was another people person. So mm. they must have had such a connection. Uh, one yeah. of our members asked, was there anything in her history that would have predisposed her to being so kind and generous to others? Not just in times, but like in sending the <clears throat> food uh to people she had not met um i think i think the food element when she sent food parcels to the shop after the second world war came about mostly because she'd been talking with her neighbors upstairs in her apartment building and one of them was british she'd said that i, I think americans may not have been aware that britain was under rationing at that point and that food stamps were issued to people and you can only have one egg per person a month and things like that <clears throat> and I think she was just horrified by the idea of it and the fact that the things were still. But yeah, England was suffering so badly and because she really desperately wanted to go to England. I think she wanted to help in some way. She'd already started to write to the bookshop and had been doing so for a short while. And when Brian, the neighbor, mentioned he sent food parcels to his mother in England from a place in Denmark, like a mail order from Denmark would send a food package I think she just realized this would be something that maybe she could do to help others, particularly in the city that she really desperately wanted to visit. Oh, yeah. um, and she did it. That's right. But of course, she never actually met Frank Dow, the no. bookseller, in real life. <clears throat> no. Our members said when they got to that part of the book, a number of them had to get the tissues out. They found that oh, incredibly yeah. sad. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you watch the film with Anne Bancroft playing her, and Anthony Hopkins, who played Frank, when Anne Bancroft, playing Helene, is sitting on the floor of her apartment building towards the very end of the film, she's, she's doing a voiceover, narrating the letter where she's writing to her friends Kay and Brian, the people who used to live upstairs, saying about their trip to England, you know, that the, the wonderful man who sold me all my books has, has died, and there's a rumour that the shop's going to close. If you pass by 84 Charing Cross Road on your travels, kiss it for me. I owe it so much. That scene, I mean, I'm, I'm starting to fill up now. That scene in the film can have me crying as much as reading in the book when she gets the letter from Joan Todd, the secretary in the shop, saying that Frank has died. It's just, it's a, a lovely, beautiful story. And it was marketed Badly, I'm afraid. It was called The Love Affair by Mail, and it was never a love affair. It no. was a friendship between Helene and Frank and some of the people in the shop and his wife, Nora, who also wrote to Helene. It was a friendship. No declaration of love. One letter she put love Helene. One letter he put love Frank. And that was it. But that was at the end of like a 20-year correspondence. It was probably much more of an affectionate by at the end of the letter than anything else um there was no sex no drugs no swearing it's actually a very very quiet genteel gentle tale um but i think it's touched a huge amount of people around the world and the fact that you can sit down and read 
the book of 84 Charingross Road, which is only about 100 pages in the space of an hour or two. So it's yeah. an easy read. And then it stops because the man's died. I think a lot of people now are thankful that the, the book is coupled in a double volume with the Duchess of Bloomsbury Street because it continues the story for you. Wow. Otherwise, when it was just published as itself, it was a very short story. And then, oh, it's finished. It's nice <laughs> that her other books continued on and, and that she got to go to London. But ironic, she got there on the strength of him dying and then she published the letters. Yeah, interesting move. Um, I know our members, um, you know, a lot of them are saying just about that sad ending and they've enjoyed the, the Duchess of um, Bloomsbury as well. And it was quite a few of them said they read it all in one go. Ah. Others, they said, I'm, you know, I sat down for it. Lady, I'm really sorry. Could you repeat what you just said for that question? Because from this end, I lost my video connection and sound. Very but, sorry. I was just saying how um, when we got together as the Book Academy to talk about 84 Charing Cross, mm. they they said um, how much that they enjoyed not only reading it, but that they could read it in one go. Mm. Or a few of them just, you know, I sat down for five minutes and, you know, and I got hooked and I carried yeah. on reading it till I finished. It was just, just amazing. Yeah. Well, all I can say is thank you very mm. much. It's been lovely seeing that insight, particularly into Helena um, Hunt's world, even though she, you know, she's no longer with us and it's 25 years on. You know, it's, it just shows the power of the book that will continue and continue. Yeah, exactly. Just very briefly, I, I just want to give a little point for your own books. Uh, interesting you're saying about Helene was, um, it went into the secretarial side because mm -hmm. it's an EA work that you your books are about so do you would you like to tell us a little bit about the yeah, sure. circus or should I stay okay. I go or any of your particular books okay well to be honest I, it's only a, a small number of the books that I've written off for personal assistance and executive assistants um, I was working in a, a school as a head teacher's assistant and when I started the job I looked for a book that would help me on the job. And there wasn't one. Um, there are lots of books out there if you look on somewhere like Amazon or books or bookshops online elsewhere. Books for assistants on how to work in their jobs, but nothing for somebody working in education. So I mentioned this to my boss. He was writing a book for head teachers and asked me for a chapter in it on being a personal assistant. I went, that's not a chapter. The job of being an assistant in the school is huge. It's a whole book. And he went, go on then, write it. And I went, Okay, so having kind of shelved my Helene Hunt book for many years and starting and stopping and starting and stopping, I then had this challenge. I had to write this book for schools and I got it done in the space of about nine months and it was published. It's called Brave PAs and it's for personal assistants and admin staff working in schools. And then I realized half my career had been in education, but the other half was in other organizations, in charity and in industry. So I wrote a second kind of sister book for PAs and EAs and any other assistants working in, in those. And that's called the PA and EA Circus. And they are both guidebooks for working in, in, in particular roles. And they look at all the different aspects of your personality and the aspects of the job and the skills that you need to do these, because you need to be a real multitasker and possibly a multiple personality, I sometimes <laughs> joke, to be able to do and handle all of the different 
a personal assistant or executive assistant. You are holding the leader of the organization and supporting them in everything they do. And you've got so many plates to juggle and you've got to do so much firefighting and um, being the boss's safety net and a whole range of different things. So all of these aspects I've covered in the two books. Um, I've also got a psychotherapy degree because I realized in every job that I was working in, somebody always needed a quiet word with a, somebody who was confidential and who could help. So I, I went and did a master's in psychotherapy. And then that led to me doing three therapeutic fiction books for children and teenagers on um, grief, handling a family breakup and being bullied. Um, and then that led to fairy stories for children and then some more books and it's built. And then I was ill in the middle of everything. In, in 2012, I became seriously ill and had to really rethink about my career and what I was doing. Um, could I stay in my physical 10 to 12 hour day job or would I have to find some way else to support myself? And so I asked myself a huge number of questions and tried to look at, could I do it properly? And that later became my book of should I stay or should I go, which is for anyone who's got a disability or illness or mental health problem. It means that they are finding it difficult to stay in their current job. And it's looking at what could you do? Can you stay? Can you adapt? Can your workplace adapt for you? Can you change your hours? Can you retrain? Do you have other skills already? What can you do to actually sustain yourself? I've got another 15 years or so before I can retire, but I've been able to now move myself to a healthier climate where I now live in Spain. I feel so much better than I was for the previous eight years in England. I'm working part-time and I will be able to sustain myself until I retire doing the bits of part-time work that I do. So that's where that book came from. And there's a whole range of others. The last three I've just done are on learning to speak Spanish. <laughs> well, I, I not only are you writing a biography that's an another author that you love and the connections between you mm. and her, but also that your own books are very much from you know what's happened to you so mm. if it's about you you met someone who said you must write a book you did and um, you know things that are happening with your health so you then pass that knowledge on through yeah. a book I think it's yeah. lovely. So I just got a message um, through the Facebook saying, love right. this, very interesting background to your books, Angela. Thank you for giving your time. Thank and you. as we conclude this, I do want to thank you. I want to leave with two points. Mm. One, Scattered Leaves by Angela Gary about Helena Hanf coming out hopefully this year. Yeah. Um, another person just said you're a very inspiring lady I agree on that the second thing is I want to finish with a quote and the quote is actually from your short story collection called Twisted Tales and the quote the quote is being a writer isn't something you just do it's something you are it comes from within mm -hmm. so I think that's a perfect place to leave uh, my daughter and I are going to Charing Cross Road next week and we will give it a kiss. Right. There, there is a plaque outside the building, which the building was a bookshop, then it became the Covent Garden Record Store, then it became an all bar non, then it became a med kitchen, then a Bruxelles. It's currently McDonald's. <laughs> directly opposite the, the palace theater you'll see a mcdonald's look to the left side of the front of it there's a plaque on the wall 
the booksellers Marks & Co. stood on this site made world famous by the book by Helene Hanf. It's still right. there. Well, we shall just hope that it's still there. Yeah. And if not, we will begin a campaign to put it back. Yeah. So, so now, Angela, thank you thank so you. much. Please stay on after I end the broadcast, but I will close this broadcast. And thank you so much for your time, your insight. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much for inviting me, lady. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hi. Thank you for listening to the Lady AD Show podcast. Come back, subscribe, and we'll do this all over again. Bye-bye.